Hello, friends. If you recognize that theme song, you know what time it is. It is time for Let's Talk About Jesus right here on WMAF, your hometown radio station right there in Madison and North Florida, South Georgia. And if you're driving down the interstate, as long as you still get the signal of WMAF, would you please stay tuned for this very important teaching from the Word of God today as we go to the Bible, God's book, to study the Word of God. Amen. I I want to emphasize uh, very clearly and plainly here something that I say very often to our congregation. Every time the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, spiritual warfare is occurring. I want to say that again before we begin this great subject today. Every time that the gospel is preached, spiritual warfare is occurring. And we want to make it very, very clear today. Amen. We want to understand clearly Satan's strategy to defeat, deceive, and destroy. And we want to understand just as clearly God's plan to save, deliver, and set free. Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles today, we want to understand how to win this battle, this battle for the mind, which ultimately is the battle for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. We're taking our text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Listen carefully to the Word of God today. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, friends, Satan in his role as God of this age has conducted a relentless well-planned strategy to blind men's minds to the truth about God and how to know Him, to literally veil the truth of the gospel. This word blinded in the Greek in verse 4 means two things, literally. It means to, to obscure with smoke, and it also means to puff up with pride. In either case, it brings spiritual blindness to the mind. It begins in a blindness in the spirit, and then the mind itself is affected. Someone has said, and I believe this is absolutely correct, whoever controls the mind controls the will. And whoever controls the will controls the life. And whoever controls the life will ultimately control the destiny. And that's why we need a strategy for victory over the devil's strategy to deceive and to destroy. The battle, make no mistake about it, is for the minds of men and women, boys and girls initially. But ultimately, it is the battle for the destiny of the human soul. Everyone is going to live somewhere forever. There's going to be a resurrection of every person who has ever lived and died. A resurrection to face the judgment of God and this second death 
that the Bible speaks of, this eternal separation, banishment, and punishment spoke of in Revelation 20, and the resurrection of the just to live eternally with Him, to rule and reign with Him in a new heaven and a new earth. And friend of mine, we want you on that side, on that resurrection, that first resurrection, over whom the second death has no power. Praise God. To understand Satan's strategy to deceive and defeat and destroy the souls of men and women, we have to understand uh, how he wants to have influence over the minds of men. He wants to blind the mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, listen to this carefully, even where Satan's seat is, and that thou holdest uh, fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Two times in these uh, two verses uh, we have Satan's seat, and where Satan dwelleth. The word seat here, is thrown us from the word we get thrown or to sit on a throne, a stately seat, someone seated on a throne. You see, friend, the devil is not a god. He's a fallen angel. He is therefore not omnipresent. He had a headquarters, a base of operation that was strategic to his plan to blind the minds of mankind. At the time of John's writing, he chose this place where he could have influence, his base of influence in the world. Now, he hasn't come to the earth literally. That will happen during the tribulation where it says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan hath come down to you, having great wrath, for he hath, he knows he has, but a short time. He is called the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible said concerning spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and, and the spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Let me tell you some things about Pergamos. Pergamos lay north of Smyrna, and was considered one of the finest cities of Asia. It had little or no commerce, but was remarkable for its learning, refinement, and science, especially medicine. It was famous for its library, which consisted in that ancient day of 200,000 books. It was a cultural and intellectual center. It's amazing, isn't it, that this this place where Satan dwelleth, this place, you know, when I think of Satan headquarters, I think of, of some sin-filled city with no intellectual and, and where people are just ignorant and backward and, and given in and given over. I think of Sodom. I think of Gomorrah. I do not think of a well respected, refined uh, city in Asia 
like Pergamos. But because of the library and because of the false worship, we can see a strategy developing here is where he wanted his influence to emanate from. It was also famous or infamous for its idolatry. According to Warren Wiseby's uh, comment on this city, it said the city also had a temple dedicated to Asculapius, the god of healing whose insignia was in, uh, an entwined serpent on a staff. This is still a medical symbol today. False healings were said to be wrought by the false priest. Pergamos was called the city of temples. Some called it the metropolis of heathen divinity. Idolatrous rites and impure, licentious worship were observed. The only library larger was in Alexandria, and it burned, leaving Pergamos the largest library in the world. I believe it's significant that Satan chose an intellectual center combined with false religion to use as his base of operations. The battle for the mind is critical for Satan's strategy for deceit and destruction. Friend of mine, the scripture said before we were saved, we were under his influence. In Ephesians 2:23, it said, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The term carnal mind in Scripture is better understood as the fleshly mind, a mind totally governed by our fallen flesh nature. The enemy desires to defeat God's uh, desire is to reconcile sinful fallen man to himself. Colossians 1 and verse 21 makes that very clear. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. One on the New American Standard said you that were hostile in your mind. It is easy for Satan to blind uh, and to the minds of those uh, who have that hostile nature because of the fall of all mankind. Uh, and it's easy for him to build his stronghold of deceit in that hostile mind, to gain an influence to evil works. Romans 8 and verse 7 said, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Enmity in the Greek means hostility. It means hatred, literally hatred. Many times the gospel and the Christian are met with violent opposition because Satan controls the mind. Jesus said, marvel not <laughs> that the world hate you. It hated me before it hated you. In fact, he said to take heed when all men speak well of you, for they spoke well of the false prophets that came before you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, and we can see Satan's system of deceit. 
It says, This I say, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You can see the progression here, vanity of the mind, and then the understanding is darkened, bringing ignorance and resulting in spiritual blindness of the heart and being then past feeling given over to uncleanness and greed. It all starts with vanity of the mind, literally futility of the mind. And that word vanity is simply depravity. Satan is so deeply entrenched in our present society. Nothing short of successful spiritual warfare will result in the loosing of his prisoners. His stronghold in the minds of men and women must be cast down. You see, one of the problems in our, our, our places of, of biblical study and biblical learning today is few of them deal with this area of, of the strongholds in the mind, the blinding of the mind. We're sending preachers forth that are some of the best educated preachers that have ever been behind pulpits. But I'm afraid many of them do not understand that when the gospel is preached, spiritual warfare is occurring. Billy Graham is a great anointed evangelist, the greatest of our generation, I believe, without exception. But he will not hold a crusade in a city to win souls to Jesus Christ without one year of protracted prayer. He understands clearly that there is going to be a battle for the mind when the gospel is preached. He knows that spiritual warfare is going to occur. And he knows that the only way to win this battle is through this, this warrior praying. Hallelujah. You know, the scripture said in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, that we argue not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And the rulers of the darkness of this world, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And then it enumerates all of the armor. First, it uh, illuminates us to the adversary. We begin to see this enemy that we fight this and his sphere of influence. And then we begin to put on the, the necessary uh, battle gear uh, to overcome him spiritually. And it enumerates the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the mighty shield of faith. And then it says, praying, praying. All of this is so that we can 
pray effectively so that the, the, the one who is blinding is bound long enough from blinding so that the will can be freed to choose and the eyes can be opened to see. You know, when the Bible said Jesus was anointed to open the eyes of the blind, uh, uh, it, it doesn't mean just physical healing for men like blind Bartimaeus or the man who washed his eyes out after Jesus made spittle out of spittle and, and clay and put it in his eyes. Uh, and he came back seeing. Oh, we just see that physical blindness. We need to understand that when in the context of Christ anointing it is to open the eyes of the spiritually blind so that they can see the glory of the gospel you know when god illuminates you to the truth about your spiritual condition and about where and about eternal things and where you spend eternity in particular you get an understanding of your lost condition and where you are headed and you get an understanding of the Savior and God's great plan and person He sent to save you. Praise God. When your spiritual eyes are opened, when mine are opened, that's why the songwriter of that great hymn of the faith, Amazing Grace, there's a verse that says, I once was blind, but now I see. He, he had 20-20 vision in his physical eyes, but he was blinded spiritually. But when he, his blind spiritual eyes were opened, he immediately received the forgiveness and the grace and the deliverance that the gospel of Jesus Christ offered him. Make no mistake about it, when the gospel is preached, spiritual warfare is occurring. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down. And this d distinguishes where those strongholds are. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I like the New International because it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Oh, friend of mine, we need to understand today that the battle is raging for the minds of men because the battle is raging for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. This word stronghold used first in the basic sense is a fortress. And then metaphorically, anything on which one relies. In the context here it is used for the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against an opponent. You know, every time that the Holy Spirit comes to draw someone to Christ, the enemy is going to try his best to push back by 
by bringing arguments. <laughs> I've heard every argument, every single argument that I, I, and, and when I think I've heard them all, I keep hearing more. There's always some excuse when I'm old and gray and sitting in my rocking chair, then I, I may consider coming when I, to Christ, when I sow all my, my wild oats, or I can't live the Christian life, or, uh, I, I'll have to give up my job or my friends and, and so many arguments that push back against the forgiveness and the grace, the salvation and the deliverance that is offered. The word imaginations here means a reasoning thought used here for the thoughts of reason, which in itself vaunting shuts itself off from God. You know, the scripture verifies that in the old covenant where it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But we, through intercessory prayer, have divine power to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations. I like what Reverend Jesse Powers said. I want to quote from him today. He said, In a little obscure village in the state of Maine, a few earnest Christians got together and formed a prayer band. They selected the most hopeless case in the village, began to pray for his salvation. He was a drunkard and a human wreck, but eventually he was saved. And after he was saved, they selected another and then another. And in a single year, listen, in a little village in Maine, in a single year, more than 200 people came to know Christ. Ah, oh, friend of mine, what that is telling me, and I hope it is telling you, that when we understand Satan's strategy to deceive and to destroy, and understand God has called us to enter in to spiritual warfare and to wage that war effectively for the souls of men and women by initially by initially winning this battle for the mind. Hallelujah. Praise God. Every great awakening in the history of the church from the time of the apostles till now has been the result of this kind of warfare, praying, this kind of intercessory praying. There have been great awakenings without much preaching. <laughs> And without much or any organization, but never without prayer. Someone said it's impossible to estimate the power of prayer. David Brainerd went out to reach the North American Indians for Christ. He was deep in the forest and alone. He was unable to speak their language. He spent whole days in prayer. He knew that he must depend upon the power of God. Once he preached through a drunken interpreter who was hardly able to stand up, yet scores of Indians were converted on that day. That is God's power, God's Holy Spirit at work. So I will say without reservation that prayer, intercessory prayer, is the single most important factor in soul winning. 
Dr. Jowett said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. I want to say that again. I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Today, the Bible said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We have the, some of the most educated and eloquent preachers that have ever stood in pulpits, in our pulpits today in America and around the world. But friend of mine, we cannot do without God's power to illuminate the darkened, the sin-darkened souls and sin-darkened eyes. Jesus said, I'm anointed to set the captive free to set at liberty those that are bruised because I'm anointed to open the eyes of the blind. And when we pray and we intercede, and we bind the enemy who is blinding our children's minds, children growing up in Sunday school, children raised in church, and then when they become adults and their will is free and they, they are out from our influence, many times they come directly under the enemy's influence. Oh, how we need for them to understand that, that, that this is not just an intellectual thing that you know in your mind. It's a revelation that you hold dear in your heart. It's called the faith so that they will not turn from it. And I believe it is the prayers of the saints, the collective corporate prayers of the saints and of ministers who are going to walk into pulpits who, who st stayed out late on Saturday and are cramming for a few scriptures to preach a biblical sermon without prayerful preparation. Oh, friend, how we need in the clergy, in the pulpits, ministers who know how to wage effective spiritual warfare. You know, I have spent many hours into the wee hours preparing the sermon. Preparing the sermon so that I could fulfill my responsibility as a pastor and an evangelist to preach the gospel truthfully, accurately, uh, and and if you can add a nice illustration, it just uh, it just like tying the bow on top of the package, and and you walk away from church feeling so satisfied. I delivered a great sermon. Oh, it it was a wonderful, eloquent, uh, uh, educational sermon. But friend of mine, there is something else occurring in the hearts and minds. There is a battle occurring. It is in the heavenlies. It is a spiritual battle. And we have spiritual armor so that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I believe we're going to see a mighty move of God in our generation simply because of the scripture where sin doth abound my grace does much more abound it is not a matter of God's willingness to save or his ability to deliver and set free but do we understand the battle that is waging and do we understand how to win this battle 
I pray that God will raise up prayer warriors all across this nation, in our churches, in our pulpits, that God's house, that is certainly a house of preaching, God's house, which is certainly a house of praise with wonderful orchestras and choirs and eloquent, educated preachers, that it might be known what it is primarily known for. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, our time is almost gone today. But in these last few moments of time, I want you to know that God loves you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I know that a battle is occurring. A battle is waging for your mind and ultimately your soul. And I want you to know that today, I believe because of the intercessory prayers over this broadcast, that God is opening your eye so that you can see what you never truly saw before. And you are not blinded in your mind anymore. And you see the glorious offer of forgiveness and salvation. Come to Christ. Come and confess your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior today. No power of hell can hold you back if you want to be free. And today, if you are a Christian, God has called all of us to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge, to see this great ushering in of souls in this last day. Ah, pray, my brother, pray, my sister, and let's see God's great revival. Hallelujah. Come back next week, will you? And let's talk about Jesus. <laughs>